there. I wanted to jump on today and just do a quick intro to the episode because it's a little bit off the beaten path for what we usually cover in this podcast. Today's guest, though, was just too amazing to pass up, and I had so much fun interviewing him that I wanted to share it with you. The topic today is acting and autism, which I do know is a relevant topic because I myself know several autistic young adults who are looking at this as a career path. So if you know any autistic actors or neurodiverse actors who are starting out, you really might want to consider passing this interview along to them because the knowledge that is dropped is pure gold. It's insider Hollywood knowledge that only a veteran actor would have. And now even honestly, if you're not interested in the profession of acting, you are still, I think, going to enjoy this conversation. Please welcome American icon, actor, musician, and all-around awesome human, William Sadler. Bill has been a professional stage, television, and film actor since 1977, and his lineup of credits is simply way too long to list, but you're going to have to trust me that he has played some amazing characters in several blockbuster hits. Check out his official webpage at therealwilliamsadler.com, and please enjoy this week's episode. Hey, welcome to Atypical Parenting. I'm so glad you're here with me. I am so excited. We have the best guest I've ever had. Bill Sadler is on the show with us today. (laughs) William Sadler is kind of a legend. And I think in the autistic community, he has quite a following. Based on what my son tells me, there's quite a following for a sci-fi show that you did back in the 90s. And I know because of the strike, we can't talk about specific shows, but what do you uh, want to tell us about that character? It was Deep Space Nine, but I can't talk about the specific shows. But the character was, his his name was Luther Sloan. He was the director of Section 31. He's sort of this Oliver North character who works behind the scenes in the Federation, fixing things, making things happen illegally, and on the black market, I mean, just awful things. I mean, he'll give a whole planet an epidemic and wipe <laughs> them out. And then when he's finally confronted with this stuff, he says, well, you didn't, you didn't really think you won that war, did you? And, and it's like the Federation for all these years has been these, you know, goody guys. They're, they're honest and they have rules there are things they can do and can't do and so on. And they suddenly find out that all this while there's been this organization that was founded at the beginning of the Federation oh. that works underground, making these things, making these awful things happen. And I love the, I love the character because he's, he's very, very intelligent. And it's one of the things I, I really enjoy about acting is deciding or figuring out how bright these people are that I play. Uh. I say bright. I mean, how aware, how cognizant are they of their surroundings? And with somebody like Luther Sloan, he not only knows what you're thinking, he's three steps ahead of you. He knows what he, he knows your options and what you're likely to do. Wow. Long before you do. Wow. And it's a fun thing to play as an actor. I did it in Die Hard 2 as well. There's occasionally these really great villains. They're very, very uh, bright. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, you definitely they have can, to be bright you know what I mean? to be a they good see, villain, yeah. Right. They can. See, they know what's going on behind them. They know what's going on in front of them. And then there are characters like Haywood in Shawshank or, you know, these less aware people who, uh, <laughs> who are even more fun to play um, <laughs> because you just narrow the focus. You just narrow their vision down. Mm. So the only thing they can see is what's right in, right in front of them. They're not aware of anything beyond it or behind them or, and as a result, they're sort of surprised by, they're like a puppy. It's like a dog. They're surprised by everything. Everything is a new thing, oh. you know, and everything's great. And every, <laughs> you know, and everything's, they have, a, you know, they have whatever reaction they're going to have, but the, the audience is generally five steps ahead of them. So Haywood picks up these horse balls out in the field and they're looking for stones and and he had he's just he's just always like three steps behind uh, everybody else at the table everybody else in the room and it's really it, it's fun to play i really enjoy playing with how bright uh, these people are yeah it's an interesting way to look at it but, you've done so many things you've you know how long have you been acting now since 1968. 1968. Yeah, you've been that was been the first play in theater and TV and right all kinds like, of movies. It was like and... the first eleven years or so was. Well, it was six years of sort of training, and then eleven years of theater in New York, and Broadway and oh, off wow. Broadway and on Broadway and and then and then I started the movies after those eleven years. I got cast in a movie that flew us out to Los Angeles and all, wow. of, us, all of a sudden we were there. Oh um, my gosh, you must have thought you were just on top of the world at that point. I was, well actually we had this apartment in the East Village for 11 years, you know, my wife and I, and it was really comfortable and it felt like New York, you know, it was cheap. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what it was, 300 bucks or something a month. Wow. Um, but that's a lot for an unemployed actor, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was hard being uprooted and mm. saying, you know, Los Angeles is a very different world, mm. different feel, different. You've got to buy a couple of used cars and find a home. Wow. And we had a new baby, wow. so she had to find a school and it took a long time to adjust to the West. Yeah, to the West Coast. It took a few years. But after a while, it became clear that, I mean, we found friends and we began to know where to get this and where to get that and, mm. you know, what hours to get on the freeway and what hours to avoid it. Yeah. Were there any mistakes you made when you uprooted and moved? Because I imagine for people with autism, moving to a new place to act would be like really unsettling. I don't know. That would say that that would sort of involve regrets. I guess uh. I wouldn't have been so afraid of it. I think I was reluctant, and Marnie was reluctant to make this gigantic three thousand mile move yeah. and start all over again in a yeah, that's strange in this thing. strange land. And, and they don't care for theater the way they do in New York. They don't. There isn't a theater community uh. that's as well-developed and old and revered as there is in New York. So all your theater credits are sort of like 
yeah, but oh, do you have any tape on yourself? <laughs> like, you know, what what TV shows have uh, you done? And wow. So it, it took a while to, you know, develop. So it sounds like it was just a matter of time. There was not much else to do besides time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, taking advantage of opportunities when they presented themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any, I mean, strong regrets about moving out there. It was, it opened a door, film acting on film and it took me a couple of movies to get there maybe more than a couple of movies to really understand the power of the camera and the close-up and how intimate that thing is Mm. the audience is now here yeah that's true watching you right watching every expression watching watching thoughts go across your mind and there's a wonderful sort of freeing that happened for me anyway at, at first it was strange coming from the so much theater it's like why do you you know they shoot the wide shot and now we're going to go in and shoot medium so why do we have to why do i have to do the same action over again in the theater you don't have to but if they want to cut back and forth you know your hat is on on this line and now it's off on that line and now it's back on on this line and it's a you have to match <laughs> what you takes. did in the other takes or they can't use them wow. and think just stupid stuff like that yeah. and appreciating how it's really a dance between you and those camera guys they want to you have to you have to help them you have to um you know you have to work with them so that they get the shots that are lit that are give them your face give mm. them you know whatever it is they they need i don't know i just found it i i began to feel it very freeing film work really compared to theater yeah yeah Why? i think because <laughs> because on film because the camera is such a naked eye looking at you Mm. this completely objective eye and the audience and the audience is so Mm -hmm. in your face the tiniest thought can light up the screen the like it isn't that you're not doing anything you're you you still have to be in character you still have to you know have all the emotions cooking but there's just an infinite variety available on stage in Broadway, especially when, you know, that's a 1200 seat theater Mm. or whatever it Mm. is and balconies full of people that paid $200 a seat. You can't be so small. Uh. They need to know what you're feeling and you need, it isn't a question of forcing it and making it bigger so that they can see it. It's a question of adding there has to be more energy underneath it. It has to carry. It has to be more precise mm. or more distinct so that, right. you know. so that everybody so, can see. Well, so that it, yeah, so that it carries. And it doesn't mean it, it, doesn't mean it has to be less real. It's just this, a, there's a, an additional burden. Mm. They have to hear the words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're, 60 feet away, 90 Mm -hmm. feet away. Mm -hmm. 
So, so when you think about these differences in acting in different sort of situations, yeah. and you think about an autistic person who might have, you know, sensory issues or processing delays or, you know, all kinds of things that are difficult to manage, which area of acting would you think would be most suited? I was thinking about this. There's a part of me that thinks that film would be a wonderful place for someone with those issues because especially video where you could go back and look at it mm. they can see what we see mm. almost immediately you can go back and and talk about what happened and what were you feeling then because yeah. it, because you looked like you were so, you looked so angry that's an excellent you point. know or whatever but you could use it and show them. Yeah, as a way to build your. It's very hard to Im yeah. imagine what you look like when you're in the uh, in the thing, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. I mean, I would have thought theater because it's a group thing and there's an audience and there's feedback and so on. And I don't know. It might, yeah, that I think might your be point useful. about film is but really think, important. But I think if it. It, might, it really might be interesting and helpful. It makes me just actually think of like. Um, psychodrama right like they have this thing called psychodrama yeah. which is a type of therapy and it's fascinating to think about it that way you mentioned you asked before about people someone who is bipolar yeah so the, that was another question is because people who are neurodiverse that includes like all kinds of differences like adhd autism uh, bipolar disorder so right. a lot of times people with these diagnoses they have intense mood swings and they're not under their own control, right? Like you cannot help when you're having a mood swing and you're having a very strong emotion. So how do you, what do you think about that as an actor who deals with that kind of thing? What would you suggest for them to get more into the appropriate emotion that the character needs to have? One of the things that you have to do if you approach a, a script or a scene and so you give someone a character and you say, you're going to play Bob in this scene. You go through and take apart what they say to each other. And you, have, and you work backwards from what they say and try to figure out what it is that they're feeling. Like, what, what would you have to be feeling to say something like that? How could you? Why would he say that? Um, mm. to her mm -hmm. how how hurt it sounds like he's hurt and he's lashing out for example and you can <laughs> I don't know how useful it would be but but for someone who has mood swings it might be useful to get up on stage or get up on a get up with another actor and hold somebody else's lines these are somebody else's words it's a different character it's not you okay all right this isn't you this is not this is now bob let's see if you can get where bob needs to be mm. by way of controlling being able to bring it on and bring it down the mm -hmm. scene's over mm -hmm. we all sit back down mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i scream at you for five minutes and then it's <laughs> over and then the scene is over right and nobody gets hurt. Everyone is respected. Everything, you know, it seems to me that it might be useful to take a scene from a play or a movie and cast it 
with people who have these these issues and see if see if they can understand looking at somebody else if they can understand or if they can bring on that emotion ah because that's the job right so you're saying use your own emotional you have impetus to yeah you have all these gears inside yeah part of the acting thing is trusting yourself enough feeling free enough Mm. To let that stuff hang out. Mm. What do you think about that? Like, um, you know, if a character is struggling with something sad, say, like, is it useful to pull up your own sad emotions about situations in your own life? It's unavoidable. Uh, it's unavoidable. I find. Yeah. Um, men in uh, in this society have a terrible time crying. Actors all complain about, you know, crying on cue and. I have to cry in this scene. I did a wonderful movie called A Stage of Twilight with Karen Allen. And uh, the characters were written so authentically. And their emotions in the scene were so right on the money that I couldn't get through some scenes in that thing without choking up and not being able to finish yeah. And it was like, but that's but that's acting. I mean, yeah. you use what you use. This is this is your box of paints. This is your uh, this is all you have to work with are your emotions, right. your expressions, your emotions. And when you take on a character who's in a a situation like that, your job is to give yourself over to their situation. Mm. And if that elicits like it did in that case. So did that help you, the eliciting, or did it make it harder for you? No, it helped. It helped enormously. It helped enormously. And I, because it felt real. Mm. How do you de-stress from that kind of intense situation? First of all, (laughs) after you... Usually, this is my experience with it anyway, is when you do a scene and both of the characters or all all of the characters have, they're full of what's happening, what's at stake, and they're committed to getting what they want in the scene and so on. They throw the ball to you and you come back at them and the thing lifts what happens is the scene lifts off the ground and and emotions fly and cut and you look around the room and the and the best thing you can see you see the director and the rest of the people in the rest of the room are sitting there like (laughs) like holy crap did you see that you know i think we got it wow um because you (laughs) <laughs> There's a great line in Endgame. Clove says, you've got to be there better than that if you want them to let you go. If you can commit that thoroughly and create out of nothing what's going on between this married couple or what's going on in this exchange in some believable way so that everybody in the room gets caught up in it, is she going to give it to him? Is she going right. to, you know, is it? yeah (laughs) how crap how is this gonna end Uh and scene 
So there's like a celebration of sorts after it's done. At the end of it, well. you're just like floating on air. Uh, you're just like, it's not like you want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> because it takes a lot out of you. And, yeah, that's what and there's thinking. no guarantee that it must be kind of exhausting, you know, and the second and third and fourth and fifth and eighth time you do it, it can start to feel like, well, now I'm pretending to mm. do what came so automatically mm. in the beginning. Do you find that's true that the earlier takes are more authentic? Yeah. 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 If, yeah, if everybody's ready, if everybody's prepared, the first, it's never, it's almost never the first take. It's the that's like getting to know you uh, it's the second take or the third by the third take everybody's hot and i have a thing where i always ask the directors to if they can just to go back to the beginning of the scene and do it again without stopping uh, to fix the lights fuss with the makeup adjust the costumes 10 15 minutes goes by uh, and all the energy of that first take drains out uh, and you sit there and it's time to do the second take. And what happens is you get something that looks like the first take because you're starting from zero again. Uh, Whereas if you can do them consecutively, you get, yeah. If you can get hot and feisty and going and, um, you know, in the first take and then immediately start the second take it'll go oh, wow. it'll go off the charts it'll go wow. it'll go that much higher and it it isn't always what the director wants but it's right. almost always what i want hmm. so you've been around <laughs> hollywood a long time and you know acting and stage and all that but when you think about autism people now are a lot more likely to disclose their autism so that they can advocate for themselves. What do you think about this whole idea of typecasting? And is it something that autistic people need to worry about? Or how can they avoid it if they need to advocate for themselves? Well, first of all, typecasting is something that happens in this business to everybody. Mm. Everybody if you start your career as a hero and you do a successful hero person that's so all they, that that's all a, they want you to so do. you're a villain forever you, if, you, <laughs> if you start your career being this evil villain uh, what it, was your biggest earliest biggest um, earliest villain yeah no biggest earliest character for you in particular i did the first movie that i did i was the villain i uh, was it was project x so do you think you've been the um, villain all along and more than in a lot of movies yeah in a lot of movies and Hard to Kill, I was the villain, and Die Hard 2, I was the villain. In Power, we watched in Power, you were sort of villainous in that. Yeah, it was, that was that was a more complicated character. Yeah. It wasn't quite so... No, it wasn't see, straightforward. See, but I, I, but I, always look, I also look at these characters and I think, what do they want? What do they need? Mm. For the movie to work, for Bruce Willis to look like the hero, mm. this big damn hero... <laughs> <laughs> This guy's got to really piss people off. Mm. He's got to be, he has to be a monster and huge mm. and undefeatable and so committed that you're, you're really worried that Bruce isn't going to be able to pull this off or save his wife or whatever it's, whatever is yeah, at stake. Yeah, yeah. And 
and so, I mean, there's a part of me that's always aware of what position this character plays in in the arc of the story. Mm. You know, he's got to be you can't you can't make him likable without undermining the story. I mean, Bruce has right. got yeah, yeah, pe yeah. people have got to really want this guy to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that when Bruce gives it to him yeah. at the end, you go, yes. How do you feel about the fact that you've do you feel like you've been typecast as the villain? Oh, yeah, to yeah. some degree. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Thrilled that they want <laughs> I'm thrilled that they want me to play something. Mm -hmm. I am a, you know, if you're not going to be James Bond, then be Dr. No. Mm. You know, be the supervillain. I mean, they're just as much fun. Yeah. They're, sometimes they're more fun because villains can do anything. Villains, yeah. they, there are no rules. I can, they can be just, you know, they can stomp kittens. and Yeah. And it's kind of a way to let your inner, you can't do that. inner bad you, guy out. You, right? can't, <laughs> you can't do anything. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. If you're the good guy, you got to be good. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, there are limits. Yeah. To what you can do. Yeah. So to go back, I sidetracked us, but let's go back to the autism piece because that's what we're here to talk about. How would a person advocate for themselves without increasing the odds that they're going to get unintentionally typecast as an autistic person? Because, you know, that would be so limiting. I think to some degree, it's people are more aware these days. People are more forgiving, more accepting, more accepting. of these differences mm -hmm. these days that I don't know that you would need to hide it mm. from casting mm -hmm. from casting people or agents or what have you. It might help you get cast if it's, I mean, if it's a saleable commodity. Mm -hmm. if it, uh, yeah. the, the business is a business. Right. You know, they don't, that's the reason they typecast. They don't want, they, I'm, I want her to be the ingenue in this thing because she blew me away. Mm, mm -hmm. I don't want to see her be funny or mm. evil or do Shakespeare. Or, yeah, so I'm they not, know it worked I'm once. I'm not interested in helping her expand uh, what she can do. I'm only interested in what I can use right. this so, for. So they're just like looking for so a sure thing. So if you're autistic and you enter this field and you get an agent, get a... you. <laughs> There are these hurdles. You have to get an agent, then the agent has to get you in front of casting people for this role or that role. And then I would urge people to study acting. Mm. It's not something that comes naturally to everybody. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. And lots think, and lots I'm of sure even lots and lots of people do it in high school. Yeah. And, and I'm sure even if it comes great. naturally, there's so much to learn still. It's great fun. To, but to take it on as a profession, get some chops, yeah. get some school, get some, get some training, work with scene partners and acting coaches mm. who can help you get this stuff out there yeah, in, some, in some honest way. Because that's what's, you know, then when you go and meet a casting person and you read for them or, you, you know, you read with some other actor for them and a director. It's not such a crapshoot. You can, mm. you know what I mean? You know what, you, you've looked at the role. You've figured out what you want to do with it. You've figured out what kind of attack and 
you know, go in and blow them away. And then they sit there going, holy cow. <laughs> even, <laughs> he's, you know, even he's not right for this one, but holy cow. Mm. I don't want him to play her boyfriend, but holy but cow. But I'm going to remember But him. holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That, yeah, I guess that's a good point for that, actors you know, in general. People that, are so different one from right. another. It's you really like, have to look at everything you do as you're planting seeds, right? Like you may do an audition right. and they don't like you for that character they're auditioning for, yeah. but they're going to maybe remember you. So it's never a waste if you don't get a role. And it's also, they'll also remember you if you stink. <laughs> they, if you go, if you go in and you, and you're not prepared and you're not, or you get angry with them or you get curt, mm-hmm. you know, you're giving off these like, to hell with yeah. you, to hell with you vibes. They will, they remember that too. Yeah. You know, because their job, the casting person's job is to, they get hired by producers to help a director put together a cast and they bring in, they call agents all over the town and say, um, I'm thinking of Bill for this role. Could he come in next Thursday? For the director, for the producer, whatever. But there'll be a lot of other guys. You're sitting in a room with a whole bunch of guys that look just like you. <laughs> you know, and they don't know what they want. They want, you know, they want to cast this thing. But they don't know. Right. They don't know what they want. Right. They're praying that the next guy who walks through the door will ring the bell. Is, has all the bells and whistles and he looks right, and who's his agent? Let's get you know. Let's yeah, uh, yeah. let's have him back to read with the actress yeah. or the star or whatever. Um, but it's a relationship. It took me a long time to figure this out. I'm not the brightest bulb, <laughs> bulb in the sign, you know. But I used to get angry. It's like, uh, why are they gonna, you know? They say, well, we need a, we need someone with a name. Like, I've got a I've got a name, you know, yeah. until I, you know, eventually I began to realize what it was, you know, the casting people have, they've put themselves on the line with these producers. And if you come in and you're a jerk, they'll never call you in again. Uh... And if it's bad enough, they may mention your name to other people. Uh... I yeah. can't. I can't believe what he did. Right. There are protocols, and that's great advice. Really great. Is there any other advice you'd give to actors starting out? As far as autistic people, people who are autistic, I think go, go for it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. What is the? I mean, if that's what you, if that's your passion, and that's what you, after studying it for a while, and maybe trying it, Mm -hmm. getting up on stage and doing it for live audience. It's not for everybody. It scares the crap out of me. Does it? Oh, (laughs) it scares me. A little late now, Bill. It scares me to death. Not the film, not filming. Not filming, just No, filming is just fun. Uh, Filming is just fun. mm -hmm. Like going on stage in front of, you know, 1,100 people. Well, you did it for 11 years, you said. Yeah, well, I did. Did it get easier? No. No? Wow. I don't think so. 
I don't think it got easier. It was, <laughs> there's so many things that can go wrong on stage mm. and you only get one shot at it. And if you and your friends don't cook this thing up for that audience, right. They didn't Opportunities get Opportunities lost. They, they didn't get it. Yeah. In the movies, you get halfway through the scene and the director says, whoa, 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 cut, cut, cut. Right, let's start over. Let's start, let's, <laughs> let's start over. So in that way, it's much more forgiving. Uh-huh. And we'll do two minutes part of the scene, mm. you know? Uh-huh. Or we'll do a three-minute scene. They'll do, you know, we need coverage, so it'll just be you walking to the door, put your hand on the knob, and turn back and look mm. at him and leave. Mm. And you do it, you cut it up into these little bits and pieces, which are bite size. <laughs> They're, you know, and then you're in your trailer. Yeah, and they you're are. Waiting They're... for the next chunk. Yeah. It's all chunked up. Mm. In the theater, you go, you know, it's two hours of storytelling. And you can't let go of that concentration uh, for a second. Wow, yeah. You can't. I guess that's another reason that um, film would be better suited to many autistic people because you have time to kind of collect yourself between, right? Like if right. you get overwhelmed, if you're, you know, right. whatever, if a pro- you if you're can having, take time if and get yourself together. If you're having issues, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you can, you know, you can always go back mm. and take two. Let's try it again. Go back to the beginning and just shake it all off and, <laughs> yeah. and try again. Yeah, reset. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I, so I, what are you doing these days? I hear you uh, have a little music project going. Oh, I do. I've been writing songs for years and years and years and singing and playing them in coffee houses around L.A. and at the town crier for a while before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic happened, I thought, this is a perfect time to gather them up and record them. And I did. Wow. And I made an album that came wow. out. And it's called The Kitchen Tapes. Wow. I haven't William, been able William to Sadler, find it. William Sadler, The Kitchen Tapes. I haven't, it's not, I haven't been able to find oh, yeah. it on Apple, Apple If Music. you go, you could go to thewilliamsadler.com. Okay. The William Sadler. The William Sadler. As opposed to some other William Sadler. <laughs> thewilliamsadler.com and there'll be a place you can click oh, okay. um, that takes you to Bandcamp uh-huh. and Bandcamp will let you download oh, okay. the whole album cool. or maybe just songs. I'm also getting CDs printed and vinyl nice. printed. Oh my God, it's so it's exciting. Like, um, vinyl is so uh, hot right now. I don't, I don't know what I did with my old I know. Re- I had record such a player. Great I was talking to Marnie of- the other day. I thought I had, oh. I have no idea what I did with our vinyl I know. player. I know. I think we all were like, oh, that technology's dead. And now it's all back. And we and have we boxes all... and boxes and oh boxes God, of albums. Oh, you do? You saved your albums. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I got rid of for, all of mine. You know, for one day. You were smart. <laughs> well, now mine's going to wow. be. So, yeah, it's coming out in CD. That's super next... cool. October 6th, I think they That's deliver super them. super cool. And I'm going to autograph them. Excellent. In my actorliness, I'll autograph them and you can Ship buy them and out. you can buy them and I'll send them to Where you. where are we going to be able to buy them? And 90% of the money goes to St. Jude's Children's oh, Children's amazing. Hospital. So it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. You get the music, they and get the money. Yeah. It's um, phenomenal. 
So uh, where can we buy these CDs and vinyl? Um, I think you go. I think you go to thewilliamsadler. Thewilliamsadler.com. Yes. Excellent. Cool. And I'll I'll hook you up. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you walking down the road to come hang out with me today. It's my pleasure. Yeah. It's my pleasure. It's good to do this. It's great. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you know that I appreciate you spending your time here because I know there's a lot of other places that you could be. Quick shout out to my editor extraordinaire and co-producer Sam Eisenbaum. If you found value in this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you could just rate and review it on your podcast platform. Now get out there, keep learning and growing so that you can be the best version of yourself as you support the people you love. That's what this podcast is all about. As long as I can pay that old telephone bill, I'll hang on till the cows come home. Just talking to my baby, talking to my baby, talking to my baby on the tell, the telephone.